He's going to take your soul and change that too. He's going to have divine presence. He's going to open you up to a whole new way of life. He's going to begin to fill your life with some wonder, and he's going to increasingly make you a person who is more and more thankful, trusting completely in him and in his resources, and knowing that you're never alone. You're going to live a different way from all those jaded people around you as you go through life. He's going to take your mind and he's going to cultivate a thought process that's going to help you be able to encounter and see people and see their problems and see their possibilities and your own problems and your own possibility and see them in a whole new way so you can handle them wisely. He's going to challenge you often. He's going to open up your thinking to new thoughts. He's going to move you away from just taking life as it comes and saying, that's the way it is. Or, or he's going to take you away from looking at life the way it was 20 years ago and say, that's the only way to live. No, he's got something for this day. He can take you through this day. And when he takes your heart and your mind and your soul like that and begins to work on them and change them, he's also going to give you a strength of character because he's going to gradually encourage you to change inside from top to bottom. The bottom line is this. Christianity isn't an escape from hell. Christianity isn't only pie in the sky when we get there, although that would be good enough, in a sense, for us to believe in it. But Christianity, according to Jesus Christ, is no, I'm going to develop you and I'm going to put eternal qualities in you, eternal qualities in you, while you're walking through that earthly journey. So you can be much more than the 10% everybody else is. So you can have a life that is fulfilling in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to do it because I'm going to put God's purpose in your life. And as it says in Romans 8.29, and you're going to become gradually, and it takes time, believe me, gradually become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, how does it happen? Eight years ago, I... I probably did a dumb thing about 5.30 at night. Um, I, went, I decided I just wanted to golf. And it was cold. And it was dumb. And I went to the golf course, and they, they had the shop open because they were selling Christmas gifts and so forth. And I said, I want to go out and golf. And he said, you want to do what? I said, I want to golf. Well, the flags were down. He says, how are you going to find the holes? I said, I don't care if I hit a hole. I just want to golf. And I went out and golfed, and it didn't come out so well. I didn't feel so good. And later that night, I felt even worse and ended up calling um, the doctor to tell him what was going on. And before I knew it, I was on my way from the Upper Peninsula to um, Milwaukee for tests to see what was happening to my heart. I was going to take several tests, but I took two, and that was enough. And they said, you're not taking any more. You're just going over to the hospital, and we don't want you to get out of bed. And I ended up over in the hospital. It was the day I found out that my blood was not circulating very well because I had three arteries that were totally plugged, and my conditioning was life-threatening. But they also sat down when I got to the hospital and told me there was a way out. And they told me surgery could be performed, and they had the doctor who could do it the next morning. And I had to believe that. I had to accept that as truth. And I had to turn my condition over to the surgeon. 
I had the surgery, and a few days later, I was in trouble again, and, and I was having a little bit of a problem when I was walking and so forth, and I was kind of in a never-never land. And they came in, and they told me that I was low on blood, and I needed a transfusion, and there was blood available, but it was expensive. And again, by faith, I had to accept their word. I had to believe their verdict. And I have had to say, go ahead, get the blood. And before I knew it, there's two bags hanging over me, and I'm getting blood. It changed my condition. It gave me strength. Now, just like a body cannot develop to its full potential without blood vessels that are, that are healthy and able to feed and grow the various organs in the body, so the abundant life in Jesus Christ cannot develop in you and me, and our spiritual lives cannot be healthy unless that circulatory system is working spiritually as well. You see, the Bible teaches that there is a reason why you and I don't normally live up to our full potential. It's because we suffer from spiritual anemia. Our life's blood, in a sense, has been tainted and thinned by sin. It's a condition that makes us much weaker than we realize. And it makes us prone to affliction in the life that we're trying to walk through. And, and we've got to see that we were created not to lead and have spiritual death, but to have spiritual life. And we've got to be open to how we get that and how it comes. God has devised a plan. God has devised a plan to save us from our condition in the person of Jesus Christ. God offered himself as the perfect, absolutely perfect blood donor through Jesus Christ. So on the cross of Calvary, Jesus made a deposit of totally untainted life. No sin in it. Untainted life. He made a deposit into the cosmic blood bank and he bagged it in heaven with your name and my name on it. And you don't have to pay for it, and you don't have to earn it by good works. The scripture says it's a free gift, and it is by grace that you and I can obtain it. But here's the key. In order for that grace to have any saving effect on us, we have to receive it. We have to accept it. It's sort of like getting a trans transfusion of good blood for the bad blood that's already in us and that's where Paul says faith comes in Paul says we are saved by grace through faith so he wants us to think of this faith as the circulatory system through which the transformation of God's grace flows into you and flows into me when it's working right when we've given our life to Christ when we've said, I know it's going to be a challenge, but I want to follow you. When we know he said, I will forgive you, and that's why I died, and we accept his forgiveness, and we thank him for also taking away the guilt, because that's what he's going to do. When we do it right, his life comes into us. We get his life rather than operating on our own life. And as that faith begins to develop within us, it gives our mind and our hearts and our soul the strength it needs to be a different person and a changed person from the one who remains in sin, from the one who remains 
walking along just trying to get by in life with no encounter with God and God's transfusion at all. And when Jesus comes in and the faith is healthy, he's going to take that person bit by bit and gradually move us to, to get up to our potential in Jesus Christ. And we find out that's what we are created for. Now the question is, what's the process? I wonder if you sense this morning that you're where you want to be. I wonder if you sense that you're living life with a capital L. I wonder if you sense, yeah, I finally have got it all figured out. If your answer is to those questions, well, I don't think maybe I do, or I'm not sure. Then if you've never done it before, the first thing you have to do is encounter Jesus Christ and accept him as Lord and Savior, knowing what you're doing, accepting that truth, and realizing if you turn your life over to him, you're going to have what you've been shooting for and what you were born for and what you desire, but it's not always going to be an easy road. You've got to realize that if you're going to get into that system, just like my circulatory system continues to need exercise and discipline and a variety of things to keep my, circular, my blood circulating as it ought day by day, so that spiritual cardiovascular system you are part of, if it's going to have spiritual depth, is going to have to have exercise. And that's what you're going to promise to Jesus as you accept his forgiveness. That's what James is talking about here in James 2. Now let me read it for you. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man, in verse 14, claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, keep well fed, but you do nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accomplished by action, it's dead. Now James is writing to those who have slipped into Christianity and have thought that it's basically a, it's an intellectual thing. If I will just believe something, that's all I need. If I will just... If I will just accept some doctrinal positions, that's all I need. It's all a matter of ideas, it's statements of opinion, it's all intellectual, it's all in my mind and in my heart, and, and, and I, it's all that, that you need if you're going to have Christ as Savior. James knew that the change God does make in us when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ is pretty tremendous. It's going to affect our minds for the better, that's true, but it's also going to affect every bit of us when the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. When the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. When the life of Jesus Christ comes into our lives, it gets into every part of our body, and if we're going to keep spiritually alive, we're going to turn our lives over to Jesus, and he's going to change it all. We're going to get what's called a spiritual blood supply, and we're going to have, we're going to have Jesus Christ working in our life, and he's going to move into every area of our life and begin to change it, it's starting with the heart, the mind, and the soul. But also, we're going to get to the point where we're going to understand faith demands exercise. 
If it's going to have any effect on us at all, we just can't sit. If it's going to have any effect on us, we just can't go through life as normal. If it's going to have any effect on us at all, we can't just read the Word of God in the morning and then get up and go to work and forget about what we read and, and never change. Faith demands exercise. How do we do that? Well, if you want to grow in Christ, here's how you do it. You go out and find someone as you're walking through your day who needs love. And you go out of your way to love them. You find someone who needs food. And one way or another, you figure out how to get some food to them. You go through your day and you find someone who needs faith. And you decide you're going to become the friend of that person, so it'll be very natural at some point for you to explain the faith to them and help them understand how they can have faith in Jesus Christ, which gets them to God the Father. You find a child that needs hope, and you somehow figure out how you're going to bring that child some hope. You find, a, you find that there's a teacher that's needed in a group, or there's a teacher that's needed in a class, and you find out that you're not sure how much of that you can do, but you know you can do some, and you know you've got some leadership quality, and you say, I'm going to try it. I might have to stretch, but I'm going to try it. You find a men's group that needs a leader, and you say, well, I'll do it. Or you can go this way. There was a man who once thought he might like to live a righteous life. He saw people love each other. That kind of caught him. He liked that. And he saw that all love, however, in time, makes strenuous demands on those who love. He saw that love sometimes requires sacrifice, sometimes self-denial. Well, he saw that sometimes even those who love each other struggle with each other a little bit till love conquers the situation. And there's some anguish when you really love someone. So he decided not to diminish his life by loving someone. But he kept looking around and he saw there were some people in the world who also had some distant sometimes and hazy goals, but they seemed to have a vision and they seemed to have an energy to strive and to reach some of those goals. And he thought, that's what I'm going to do. And he watched a woman who had some very high ideals. And as he watched her, he was impressed. And he said, that's the kind of life I want. But then he also saw those people as time went on, they had to face some disappointments at times. And their goals just didn't come easy. And he saw some strong men even fail in reaching their goals. And he saw that sometimes they had to deal with petty things to get to their goals. And it was not easy to earn success. He, he decided it cost too much. So he wouldn't mar his life with striving. But he kept looking. He ended up in church one day. And the big word there was you got to serve. And he saw people serving. He watched them. They were. Men and women were giving their life to other people. They were making some sacrifices. He thought it was terrific. He said, that's what I, I finally found it. But the more he looked into their lives, 
he found that some of those people were trying to serve people who were ungrateful about, their, about being served. And he saw that people were giving their life away, and some people made judgments about them as they gave their life away. And he saw that he, sometimes they even turned on their serving friends. He decided that wasn't for him. He wasn't going to soil his life serving. And so the day came when finally he died, and he walked up to God, and he presented God with his life, undiminished, unmarred, unsoiled. His life was clean from all the filth of the world. And he presented it to God. And he presented it proudly to God. And he said, here's my life. And God just looked at him and said, what life? What life? At the end of your days, when you present your life to God, what will you present to him? A lot of religious convictions you've held on to for all the years. A pretty good attendance at church. A list of things you thought about doing at some time in your life. Or will it be a legacy of Christ-like loving and sharing and serving and taking one risk after another at the encouragement and in the power of Jesus Christ. There's a prof out at um, the University of Southern California. His name is Leo Buscagelia. He, he raises these kinds of questions with his students, and he does it by handing them out assignments that are probably different than the norm. And in one of his assignments, he gives them a piece of paper, and he says, I want you to fill this in. What would you do if you found out that you had only five more days to live? When he was being interviewed by ABC, he said some of the students come back with the very predictable answers. He said, I, I have some who say, oh man, I'd, I'd get to my boyfriend right away and we'd go to an enchanting island. Others say I'd fly to Hawaii for a wild week of fun. He says, once in a while, I hear someone say, boy, I would tear this assignment up and go out and live it up. But he said, the fascinating thing is this. Very, very, very few do that. The majority of the class comes up with answers that you might expect or you might not. And you begin to understand there's some things lurking beneath the surface of the kids in college today that might be different from what you thought. He said, I get a lot of these kind of answers. Some will say, well, I'd go to the people I love and I'd tell them what they mean to me. Or I would seek out the person I have wronged somewhere back there in my past and I would ask them for forgiveness. I would find someone in desperate need and I'd give them all the help I could possibly give them in those last five days. I'd thank my parents for all they've done for me. I'd sell my car and a few other things that are worth a few bucks, and I'd make sure they were somehow given to those people who are working with children, either here or in the third world somewhere. 
I'd go to a hospital and I'd visit with someone who never gets visits. I'd help out one of the ministries of my church and do everything I could possibly do. I've been putting that off. And I've been thinking someone else can do that. I would find a poor family and give them all of my clothes. I would talk to a friend about Jesus Christ. I would reach out to someone who I never took time to get to know and just get to know them and find out who they really are. I would love, I would strive, I would serve, and he says the answers go on and on and on. Now, Prof. Leo doesn't mark those papers, doesn't grade those papers. He simply sends them back, and he has in big red letters on the top of each paper, why don't you do these things now? And as a result of that, he says, many have really changed. That's spiritual exercise. Why don't you and I do those things now? For James says here, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. And what a shame it is if we do have faith in God and that's as far as it's ever gone. For Christ has come into this world to give us life, real life, an abundant life. And he keeps telling us in a variety of ways it takes spiritual exercise and it takes accepting the challenges Jesus gives us as we walk with him and accept his forgiveness and accept his love and accept his wisdom and accept the fact that we are, un we are forgiven without question over and over again, and we are loved without question through every day of our lives, instead of just intellectually accepting all that and going our way, why don't we dig in and let them gradually change that mind, that heart, and that soul? He loves to do it. The only question is, are you ready? You won't believe what he'll do once you get ready and say, here I am. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this ministry. We thank you for the word of God that's been preached from this pulpit for years and years and years. We thank you for the people who have been saved here. We thank you for the people who have encountered Christ here. We thank you for the people who have been changed here. We thank you for kids who have come into this building and learned to love Jesus, whether their parents believed it or not, and somehow grew up and went out and have continued in the faith down through the years. We thank you for every life that's saved through a missionary this church has supported. But we also know that the greatest amount of work has been done by individuals who have just said, Jesus, here I am, use me. Some we don't even recognize. They just usher every week. They just fix things when they're needed. They just talk to people when they visit. They just do a variety of things that make all of this work and your kingdom go. But they're special people. And you love to be with them. Because they know they're walking with you. 
in small ways and in big ways. May we all find it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.